This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. Adrenal fatigue, burnout. These are terms you may see all over social media, but what do they mean? Some doctors say these aren't real diagnoses, and some of their concerns about this are real. However, we do feel that burnout, and we do feel that we have adrenal fatigue. So what do we do about it? Dr. Renee Wellenstein is my guest today, and she is a board-certified OBGYN, and she had her own extreme burnout moment that actually had her change her area of focus, and now she's a functional medicine expert and very passionate about this topic. So today we talk about what adrenal fatigue and burnout are and how to recognize the symptoms, how to prevent getting to the point of burnout, and then what you can do if you do get there. I won't lie, this topic is also near and dear to my heart because during the pandemic, I became an unexpected single mother and was running this podcast and a full-time job. Burnout probably doesn't even begin to describe how hard that time was. And so I found Dr. Renee Wellenstein's uh, suggestions to be extremely helpful, and I hope you do as well. There's a lot of folks who don't find it to be a diagnosis. And I understand why it appears as though there's not like a quick test you can take and therefore you have this. Yeah. Well, you know, adrenal fatigue is a coined term and it's, it's, it's really a, a, an adrenal gland that's not quite functioning optimally. It's an adrenal dysfunction, hypoadrenia, lots of words for it, but I love the word adrenal fatigue. And again, that's kind of fallen out of favor in modern day right now, because it, you know, it's not one of those, what they call ICD-10 codes that you can, you can circle. Um, But again, I, I love using it because it exactly describes how generally a person will feel, which is the number one symptom is fatigue, extreme fatigue. And here's the reality, you know, this is something that's actually been in the medical literature and diagnosed by docs hundreds of years, you know, but the problem is in medical school, we are trained, and I can say this because I've, I've gone through medical school. I've been on the both sides of this, and I also was not aware of this condition, but you know, we are trained in the medical emergencies. We are trained in the extremes of adrenal dysfunction, meaning your adrenal glands, which produce hormones, one of which we talk about a lot, which is cortisol, our stress hormone, is producing no hormones whatsoever. And that is a life-threatening emergency because the other, there's other hormones from our adrenal glands that help with blood pressure because of the salt potassium balance that it maintains in our blood. Um, helps with infections, you know, immune support, anti-inflammatory, but the most crucial is the blood pressure issue. And, you know, so if someone has Addison's disease and that's what it's called when you don't make any hormones, that's an emergency. On the other end of the spectrum, which I learned about in medical school is Cushing's syndrome. And that's whereby your 
adrenal glands are producing too much of the steroid steroid hormones. And that's not life-threatening in the sense as Addison's is. However, there are very um, obvious physical manifestations. You get a humpback and you get different, you know, discolored skin striations. And the interesting thing is all of the in-between is not treated with medication. Um, it's treated mostly with lifestyle modifications and possibly some supplementations to help you get to that level of feeling better. And, you know, I do think the controversy comes from the fact that we're not trained in medical school to think that there's anything in between those two extreme diagnoses, but think about it. You know, women in perimenopause, does a woman, generally speaking, a woman just doesn't wake up one day and her ovaries stop working, right? It's years of them running out. And again, it's a little bit of a different scenario because she's running out of eggs. So that's what that happens there. But, you know, kidney disease, you know, someone doesn't generally wake up one day and their kidneys stop working. Generally it's, it happens over a series of years before they get chronic kidney failure or even heart failure. So it's just amazing to think that we can't think the same of our adrenal glands. Like why does it have to just be the extremes? Why can't there be anything in between as far as there being a dysfunction in the secretion of these hormones from this gland? How would you describe the symptoms? The adrenal gland, uh, again, produces a lot of different hormones, but the one we always focus on is cortisol. And cortisol is our, I always like to say it's our get up and go hormone. It, you know, when the sun goes up, it's also related to sunrise and sunset. So sun comes up, your cortisol gets triggered to rise. And that's like, bing, our eyes open, we're ready to get out of bed. And then throughout the day, it declines to the point where in the evening, when the sun goes down, it's low at which time our melatonin, which is our sleep hormone starts rising. And again, all night, our melatonin's high, our cortisol's low. And they're again, on a little teeter totter. I would say majority of my former patients would not have that beautiful pattern on their, you know, and again, we usually check it four times throughout the day to see exactly what you're doing. And that's the test I had as well. And it's amazing to see how a cortisol level will correlate to how you feel throughout the day, specifically when it comes to your energy level. For me, for instance, it, was, it wasn't high in the morning, it was low and would actually remain low all day, maybe dip even further down. And then at night it would go back up. And there's different classifications of this adrenal dysfunction. I also love to call it burnout because I feel like a lot of people can identify with burnout. You know, a lot of people, adrenal sounds like a big word. They get a little intimidated. I don't know what that is. But when you say burnout, a lot of the symptoms can be the same and the triggers leading to this dysfunction can be the same. So, um, you know, classically, you know, the, the, the last stage of adrenal dysfunction or burnout is when your cortisol is low all day. You don't get that second win. You just wake up tired, you go to bed tired and you're tired throughout the whole day. And a lot of your lifestyle uh, decisions throughout the day are based on how you feel specifically because of this energy. So again, just like I had reaching for the coffee, reaching for the, the sugary foods, because I needed instantaneous energy to get me to the next, through the next two hours there are different stages and sometimes those different stages will, you know, manifest as different levels of all of these symptoms, including that fatigue. But, you know, generally if someone's had it for a while, um, they start again, a lot, a lot of people start getting called lazy or unmotivated or, and essentially it's really a physical symptom. It's not that they're lazy or unmotivated. They just don't feel well and they're really exhausted. So you mentioned stages. What does this look like? And, and part of what I want to uh, get to is, especially since it doesn't 
seem, because I do want to talk about the cortisol testing as well. So maybe first we can identify the stages and then get into the testing because there's um, controversy and disagreement there as well. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, when I have been doing these interviews for women's health and doing research on the different conditions, what I find really interesting and frustrating is that there's a lot of these quote unquote vague symptoms like being tired, feeling off, brain fog. That mm-hmm. could be a million different things. Mm-hmm. It could be perimenopause, your thyroid disease. Maybe you have burnout. I mean, it's so many different things. And because mm-hmm. we don't have, it's not like a broken arm where clearly your arm's broken, clearly you need a cast. And so once you get into these chronic areas, I think it's really hard to figure out where to go. So I kind of see it as a funnel of like all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Can you just walk us through kind of the typical things? Before I get into this, I don't want to say stress is bad. Stress is not bad. Acute stress, meaning oh my gosh, I got a test to take. I have to get up in front of people to talk or, you know, that's a good stressor, but it's, it's when we're waking up stressed, we're going to bed stressed and we're stressed in between, whether it be finances, relationship, work, you know, kids, virtually schooling kids, pandemic, whatever. It's just when you have that constant unrelenting emotional stress or even a physical stress, and that looks like a chronic disease that's not well controlled, autoimmune conditions, cancer, infections, all of that can actually lead to adrenal dysfunction. And the other thing I want to say before I hit the stages is everybody's resiliency is different. Genetically, we are all different. So if you take two women side by side and say, okay, they have the same stressors. Why is one encountering burnout? And the other one seems to be fine. It's just comes down to our genetics and our, and our resiliency in our bodies. So going through the stages, generally stage one, again, is that adrenaline junkie. Um, they're the ones that are like thriving on like the, you know, that, that cortisol rush all the time. And they may not even have symptoms yet of burnout because they haven't hit the wall yet. Um, but I, in this stage, what I would recommend is if you find that you are just looking for that adrenaline high to keep you going, um, you know, and, and looking for things to keep you busy, you know, that is one little thing that in that stage, because again, that's the most dangerous stage because most, I, I rarely would catch someone in that stage because people aren't really complaining about being fatigued yet. They're, they're going, they're nonstop going. They're not sleeping. They may not be eating because they're just going and they're, they're I don't want to say manic, but they're on a cortisol high. Then stage two is really when your cortisol becomes dysfunctional like mine was in that it generally, instead of being high in the morning, it's a little bit lower. And the degrees of how low it is are different. I've seen some people where, and mine included actually, on blood work and saliva was really low. Like the tests I do for saliva, there are quote unquote normal or optimal levels at a certain hour of the day. And I was well below that. And so I started out behind the eight ball first thing in the morning. And again, throughout the day that can look different. I've seen all variations of, you know, the adrenals trying to spike up, trying to make some more, you know, maybe goes up a little bit and then starts coming down. Um, so the, the afternoon could look variable. Um, generally speaking with the stage two, which we like to call wired tired, the, um, the person generally is low energy all day and how low it goes, everyone's different. Then if they don't go to bed by a certain hour, generally it's around 10 o'clock or before, they'll get that second wind. And that's exactly what I have. And you can actually see that on a cortisol test because the last cortisol is usually tested right at bedtime and you can see the spike going back up again. And so then they're, they're on a cortisol high again and they can't go to sleep. They can't calm their brain. And then stage, so that's why you're tired. So generally lower than expected in the morning, higher than expected in the evening, variations in between. Stage three is generally 
low all day. They wake up low, they go to bed low and it really, and, you know, generally speaking with some of these patients too, I have done testing in addition, like to make sure I've done two separate types of testing, confirm the extremes of adrenal dysfunction, right. Or adrenal disease, I should say those that are high throughout the day. I've actually tested them for Cushing's and, you know, again, low all day. I want to make sure they don't have bad. I want to make sure this is not a medical emergency where we need medical medications and inter- interventions. So, you know, when I've ruled that out, then I was like, okay, the interventions to help with burnout are not going to harm any other things that might be going on. Um, because, you know, getting more sleep, that's healthy. And that could actually help with female hormones as well. Eating better foods, you know, the foods that you're not turning towards to get you through the day. And it's really hard. I have to admit, cause I went through it, but trying to make smarter, healthier choices. So you don't continue that vicious cycle, this adrenal burnout. And again, burnout, adrenal dysfunction can affect female hormones. It can affect right. thyroid hormone. It can affect gut function. It can affect brain health and heart health. You know, so I do think at a baseline when I'm talking to someone and, and they kind of give me the classic burnout symptoms, and then I get a history of, of what's been going on. And generally speaking, they will have some sort of chronic stressors that are like, like the elephant in the room. Um, I will work on burnout as well as anything else that I suspect. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the cortisol testing, because even when mm-hmm. I was researching, does adrenal fatigue exist? Um, mm-hmm. the, there was a lot of questions around the different types of diagnostic testing. So can you walk us through how you can test and why there may be disagreement. And maybe there's, maybe part of your answer will be, it's not a necessarily a diagnostic, it's simply added information. So how does the, the testing fit in? Any type of functional medicine testing can be costly because it's generally not covered by insurance companies. So I actually, many times now, will just practice what I call empiricism. I've looked at enough of the testing curves to know based on someone's symptoms, most likely what that would look like. However, if a woman is like me and said, listen, I want to see it, you know, it, I, I recommend a saliva test. So that's generally you take four measurements, morning, afternoon, evening, and bedtime through at, at your best, you, you remove any stressors and that includes, you know, eating, exercising. So anything that's going to potentially elevate your cortisol level. Uh, you collect a saliva. So you just spit in a tube. I've done it while driving my kids to school before here. I am spitting in a tube. And then those four tubes you send into the lab and then they measure the level of cortisol throughout the day. And then they plot it on a really nice curve and you can see what it looks like. Um, you know, it's interesting because I have to say, and, and that is the preferred test number one, because you can do it in the comforts of your own home. And number two, it tests for what they call the free hormones. So the hormone that's not bound to other proteins in your, in your body, you know, it's what your body is able to use. And number one, when you go to your regular doctor, they're not going to, they're going to look like you, like you're crazy <laughs> adrenal. What? Like, you know, and that's, that was me too. And I, I never spoke down to patients and quite frankly, I never had a patient coming to me to ask me about this, but we're in a different day and age now. We are, you know, many more people are much more savvy when it comes to their healthcare and much more of an advocate for their health. And they're asking questions, which is, I highly recommend. The treatment is simple, not easy. I don't want to say easy because when a woman is feeling as awful as she can feel with adrenal dysfunction, you know, changing your diet and getting more sleep, that's not going to be easy. (laughs) But 
it's simple. And there's simple, you know, tactics that she can do to, to correct it. So your regular doc, again, I didn't learn this in medical school. So most docs out there, we are so busy in medical school learning how to make a diagnosis that fits in a box that we can circle and what medication can we use to, to correct that? Because let's be honest, most people go to their doctor with a complaint and they want a medication and that's what makes them feel better. You know, I work with a subset of the population now that may have tried that and don't feel better like myself. They just want to approach their health a different way. The other option of testing is a blood test, but here's the problem with the blood test. And I've had that blood test as well is that number one, you have to go into the lab first thing in the morning. And most labs are busy in the mornings. People are trying to squeeze it in before work, right? So now they're already stressed as it is. Some women got their morning workout in before going to work. So their cortisol is already higher. And then they walk into the, I've actually had patients tell me in the past, yeah, I walked in the lab and I saw someone I didn't like. What do you think their cortisol level? Or they have to wait, you know? So these are all external stressors that are going to raise her cortisol level. And that's not a bad thing. But when I'm interpreting a test and see the level, I'm like, wow, it looks fine to me. Meanwhile, that's not really, she's right now in a current cortisol high because of the stressor that she's, she's um, embarking upon. So, uh, and it doesn't test for the free hormone and, you know, a stressor of just getting your blood drawn. You know, I, I never love my blood drawn. And so I know my cortisol's getting spiked there. So it's not the most accurate measurement. One question that I, I did want to ask about what the stage is, especially when you were talking about the adrenaline junkie. When I think adrenaline junkie, I'm thinking back to the days where I started running mm -hmm. and I trained for the New York City Marathon and I got hooked. And what's really strange is, you know, when I stopped, a friend of mine came to me and she goes, why are you running? And I couldn't answer the question. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I was just like, trying to get the high of training for something and achieving a goal. What is it, what is it defined as? Uh, Cause I think that would be really helpful. And then we can start diving into some of the solutions. Yeah. I don't want to say every adrenaline junkie is going to get a burnout. You know, okay. again, it goes back to, you know, resiliency and genetics. Okay. The other thing I want to comment on athletes, they're kind of a unique breed because you have to think of people that are athletes. Generally what you do, what do you do? You eat well, Yep. You sleep, true. you know, your exercise is your stress relief, right? So like, you know, talking about managing stress, um, you know, you're probably not eating the junk food, you, you know, so like you're already doing many of the lifestyle changes that I recommend because you're okay. an athlete and you, you, your body is your temple. Like that's your, you know, without it functioning, you're not going to be able to go for the run. You're not going to be able to do that marathon. However, it can be super stressful on a body in that, you know, there's the physical, stressors, but then there's also, you know, there's a lot of, of women in competitive sports that lose their periods that right there, you know, when I used to see women and they lost their periods, it's a stressor in your body, whether it be a emotional or a physical stressor, you know, so, you know, running hours and hours a week or not eating enough or whatever the case may be, your ovaries are essentially saying it's not a safe place to have a baby you're going to die because our body doesn't know we're going to, we're not going to die. But when we're under these extreme levels of stress chronically, your body is like, I got to protect her the best I can. And that means not bringing a baby into this world because we got to put all our resources into her. So a lot of times it is, you know, when we lose our period, it's like, Oh, maybe my body's a little too stressed. And that's kind of a, that's a very good indicator that maybe we've pushed things a little too far. 
But again, I think the athletes, generally speaking, and, and again, it's not some athletes train year round others. It's very episodic. You're training for a race, you know, or what have you. So you kind of have the on off breaks that you do give yourself that physical break and you go back. So, so maybe the adrenaline junkie is just everyone, any of us who are doing unhealthy quick fixes, mm-hmm. like the tons of coffee or mm-hmm the obsessing about working out rather than it being mm-hmm. around a purpose or Correct. you know bragging you have, about 2 hours of sleep every night. <laughs> yeah, you have your okay. corporate person in New York City who's trying to cl- climb the corporate ladder. They're at the okay. office all but 2 hours a day and those 2 hours they try to sleep but they're living on their coffee and okay. they're not even or if they're eating lunch it's just grabbing some takeout. You know like those are the people and maybe they go home to a relationship that's not so healthy or right. you know like so there's a lot of things that are going on in our day, but then there's a lot of compounding things that could push you over the edge. I know you talked about sleep and food. Tell us what good looks like there. Mm-hmm. I know I've learned a lot. I've been doing so much experimentation. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of us, it takes something happening to us. I think with your horse, my infertility, mm-hmm. um, to really force us on this path of getting to know our body and doing that intense re- research. So someone who's just starting out, instead of waiting 10 years for them to do this experimentation, why don't we give them some you know, quick, easy tips of how they can start to get out of this? Um, mm-hmm. So when you said sleep, what does that look like in a reasonable way? So someone who is not like at the end of their rope of burnout are like, really, how am I going to do this? So tell us about that one. Well, ideally, you know, getting to bed before that second win occurs, if you're in that stage. So to bed by 9, 930, if possible. Um, again, if you're up later, you may have to help by taking a melatonin, which I'd, I'd rarely you do it naturally if possible, get in bed by nine, you know? And I do think if you are suspecting this, make your, your, number one, it's a real deal. It's a real thing, you know, and you are worthy to feel better. A lot of women don't know what it's like to feel good, you know? So they're like, I'm not worthy. I don't, I mean, it's selfish for me to go to bed at nine when the kid, no, it's not, you know, you go to bed. I'm, you have to see me in my house. I'm like bed at nine, like mama's got to sleep. So go to bed at nine-ish, earlier if you can. And again, if you have problems in the evening, sort of winding down, make sure you dim your lights. You know, we are not meant to be living in these bright houses with all these lights on us. You know, put the screens away, have some family time, connect, laugh, decrease your stress level. And again, nine o'clock bedtime, hopefully you sleep through the night. Some people do have sleep disturbances, insomnia because of the imbalance in the cortisol, but if, and if you do great, if possible, sleep until nine o'clock in the morning, which I know a lot of people listening are like, are you crazy? Even if that's just the weekend, because people with adrenal dysfunction, their most restorative sleep is between the hours of seven and nine. Um, so that's what sleep looks like. And again, that may not be ideal for Monday, you know, Sunday night through Thursday night, but Friday night, hopefully and Saturday, you can catch up a little bit and, you know, nap if you have to, if you have the luxury of being at home, working from home, eat a little something for lunch and take a nap, you know, a, a 20, 30 minute power nap will, will do your body good. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. 
The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. I will tell you during COVID, I started getting into the burnout. I was almost addicted to staying awake. And it was really scary because I'm normally a go to bed early kind of person. And I have found that for me, my clock is 10 to five. Mm -hmm. Like I I don't set an alarm anymore. I just get up. It's 10 to five. Mm -hmm. And um, that just happens to be where my clock is. And, you know, I do find I'm much more able to function in the mornings. I was kind of like wired from like constantly doing a million things. And so I had to put in these stop gaps and those are some of the things that had worked for me and forcing myself that early bedtime, which was hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but for me, I find it takes two weeks for me to get mm-hmm. stabilized. So I start the habit slowly. And by mm-hmm. two weeks, I am back to normal. And even this weekend, I was supposed to see friends and stay overnight at their beach house. And I was like, Sunday's rest day. I just can't. Mm-hmm. I'm so exhausted. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I did five loads of laundry, hung out with my son, like no obligations, um, so I don't know if that's helpful for others, but those are some of the things that I did. And it's, it's really, cause it was scary being in this house cooped up and trying to be a good mom. And I was so burnt out and fried and I just felt like I was breaking and doing absolutely everything wrong. So, yeah. yeah and I, I love, I love how you prioritized yourself, you know, even with friends, it's kind of, it's hard to do, but you have to know, like, especially if you've been further down the path of burnout and you start to feel better, you don't want to go back there. And the other comment I want to make, which is something you just said is that, you have to remind yourself, you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get better overnight. And so if it, and another thing I'd love to say is, I mean, I work with exclusively women who are overwhelmed. They're trying to do it all. So like when we're trying to implement changes and lifestyle changes and sustainable, so this is not like an on off switch, we really need to start slow. And like you said, so the bedtime, if that's hard, dial your, dial it back 15 minutes a night. Like if you're midnight, okay, start a couple days, 1145, get that down, then 1130, you know, and just keep dialing it back till you get to that earlier hour and 10 o'clock is fine. Nine, 10 o'clock. But sometimes if you find that if at 10, you're starting to get that second wind, okay, dial it back a little bit more, but cause everybody's different. Everybody's circadian rhythm is different. Their cortisol, their melatonin, So you really have to do, you have to feel in your body how you feel. And I think that's the other issue now with, you know, kind of piggybacks on burnout is we don't know how our bodies feel. We're not present enough in our bodies to see exactly because we're go, 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 do, do, do. Where's our to-do list? We wake up in the morning. That's really important. Just feel how you feel in your body. Yeah, no, I like that. And actually my phone is set to that because I would get in that habit and I have it set where like I get up around five-ish and mm-hmm. my phone, I can't touch it till 6.30, you know, and obviously later I change the times. But so the next thing I want to talk about, you mentioned food as well. And food is such an interesting topic. I'm actually interviewing someone later this week who does a lot of discussion around intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to get into this big diet debate. And I mm-hmm. assume we're going to be on the same page when it comes to food. Are there 
food triggers or how should one look at food as far as helping them overcome this burnout? Yeah, I think it could be, we can really simplify this. If it's in a package, you know, and highly processed, it's not doing your body good on so many levels, including your adrenals. And what I said earlier that this, these steps are easy. They're just, they're, they're simple, not easy. So the point again is you, you, that's what you're going to want to grab. That's what's easiest. That's what's really going to give you that high, but it's really going to take effort to sort of move away from the higher sugary foods, the, the, the chips, the one meal in one box or package with the sauce included, like those are definitely not doing your body good versus just keeping it basic, whole foods, you know, a nice balance of the macronutrients, fat, protein, and carbs. And ironically, you know, generally for adrenals, we don't, I don't recommend dieting because sometimes that's actually what triggers some people restrict, you know, restricting their food, excessive dieting, you know, the body's in this chronic, like caloric deficit and their body's freaking out. Like, Oh my God, you're trying to kill me. You know, I see, I used to be a competitive bodybuilder and I used to see it in a lot of my colleagues um, that were bodybuilding because you, we, you know, you do a ton of exercise and you're not eating very much, you know, of course your body's a little stressed or very stressed. And, you know, so I think we just keep it very simple saying, do your best to just eat real food, you know, again, balanced fat, usually more starchy carbohydrates, but, but not your sugary foods, um, root veggies, maybe whole grains. And again, protein, fat, and, and carbs, making sure I got them all. And in, interestingly enough, a lot of I honestly, I would recommend more intuitive eating for this stage also, because anything that continues to further tax your body and and take your focus away from healing your body. And that includes like strict dieting and putting my macros into my fitness pal. And that's not helping at this point, you know? So just again, you know, wake up, generally speaking, intermittent fasting, I really don't love like long fast for people. Again, depends on the degree of adrenal dysfunction. Someone who's like could barely function throughout the day, just eat real food, (laughs) wake up, eat, you know, try to cut down on the coffee as much as possible. I'm not saying you can't have a cup of coffee or even two, but if you find you're you're drinking a pot of coffee a day, maybe too much or your energy drinks, gosh, those energy drinks are full of sugar. I had someone once who was almost diabetic just from eating, drinking the Red Bulls throughout the day because they have like so much sugar in them. So, you know, again, kind of just coming back to what many people know the and again, I don't want to say should, but what does a body good? Real foods, cutting down, not drinking excessive caffeine. Again, alcohol is another big thing with adrenal dysfunction. A lot of people, the sugars from alcohol, but not only that, just it's like a stress reliever for some people that don't want to get present in their bodies and actually confront what the stressors are. Uh, you know, processed packaged food, because a lot of those have all of the nutrients taken out of them. You know, they're very highly refined, which means all of the fibers taken out, all the things that are good for your body that keeps you satiated and full and the nutrients are removed. Um, so they're really not, they're just really propagating this entire cycle of adrenal dysfunction. So we've spoken about sleep and food. Maybe we can just run through like a quick hit list on other things that people can just assess in themselves. And then um, I had another question that I wanted to follow up on based on that. So we've got sleep, food, um, I'm assuming exercise, getting some balance in there. Yeah. Exercise is interesting. Again, depends on the level of dysfunction. If someone can barely move, I'm not going to say, go do a HIIT workout, you know, and I generally don't say start with HIIT. Like 
you know, for most people, a nice walk outside in nature, you know, just reconnecting or even yoga, gentle yoga, Tai Chi, like more of the relaxation types of, of movement of your body. Not to say that someone who has adrenal dysfunction can't do more rigorous exercise. I'm not saying that, but we really have to use, use our mind, use our brains and be like, okay, if I can barely function through the day, am I really going to go on the Stairmaster for an hour? That's probably the best thing to do to your body right now. Not to say it's ever going to, never going to be the case again, but we really have to pick and choose where we use our energy. And I do love moving your body, but maybe a little more gently, you know, kind of coming way back though, before we even talk about like food and everything, it's like, you know, everyone's running around. I'm stressed. I'm stressed about what, you know, we can't, there's one thing to heal your body and do all the right things. But if you're going to continue that process in your head of, of something that's stressing you out. So, you know, it's always number one is what is, what is exactly stressing you out? Become aware of that. And my biggest recommendation for women is what do you have to do? What do you have to do? What can you delegate? Meaning what can you have someone else do? Or what can you delete off your list completely? Because I find women, we, we have this list of like 50 things. It's like, I know me personally, there's, it's just not possible for me to get all those things done. So I have to look at my list and say, where can I ask my husband to do something to help my kids, my assistant, you know, where, and what don't I have to do at all? Or even what can wait? for the next couple of days. What is urgent has to be done today. If it's my to-do list that's stressing me out. If it's other things, you know, your relationship, again, it's, it's hard to come to terms with a relationship, but how are we going to lessen that stress and not just live, continue to live in that stressful, stressful relationship or finances, look at the finances, look, you know, how are we going to tackle this? Because I do think continuing that cycle of stress, whatever the case may be, is just going to make matters worse. But I do recommend women have completely lost themselves in the past year you know, I thought we lost ourselves before the pandemic, but I'm telling you, I don't know what happened, but women are just really not taking time for themselves. You know, and I don't know if in the past it looked like a 30 minute manicure, pedicure, whatever. And we're not been doing those lately. You know, we haven't been doing those, but even if it's 30 minutes of taking a walk or reading a book or taking a nap, if you really want to take a nap, that's, that's your self, that's your self care or listening to a book on Audible. Maybe you don't want to read, or maybe it's laughing or dancing to music, whatever. Just really having that at least 30 minutes a day just to do something you love to do. Any other tips that you would like to add that we haven't discussed? Well, you know, supplementation, there's always supplements too. And, you know, we can get into that. Um, But I do think, you know, there's some crucial like nutrients like B vitamins are really crucial for making a lot of our chemicals that make us happy and relaxed. They're called serotonin and and, uh, GABA and motivated, which is dopamine. We need B vitamins for that. And the B vitamins get depleted with stress. And not only that, think of someone who's got, who has adrenal dysfunction. She probably is not eating well, like, like me. And I can say this because this was me. I wasn't eating well. So my vitamin, you know, panel was like looking awful. And, um, I was highly stressed, you know, so my B vitamins were in the tank and I don't think I've ever worked with a woman who's, who, whose vitamin level B vitamin levels were adequate. Uh, magnesium is also super helpful. A lot of women take magnesium at bedtime to help sleep. I have some that help them, you know, take it to help them go to the bathroom. It is wonderful at night. If you are having a hard time sleeping, taking a little magnesium at bedtime, because it is a natural, uh, muscle relaxant, it just relaxes you and it's anti-inflammatory. So it's really great. And the majority of women, again, uh, that I've worked with are deficient in magnesium and let's not forget vitamin D. <laughs> vitamin D is really crucial just to have your levels checked, 
make sure again, we live in the Northeast. A lot of people are definitely deficient in the winter months. Um, and again, we're inside on our computers most of the day. We wear a sunscreen. So many people have to supplement with additional vitamin D throughout the year. So just keep that on your radar as well, because that certainly won't help your adrenals. Yeah. What about zinc? I hear a lot about magnesium and zinc seeming to be the magical vitamins to be taking. Yeah. Zinc's great. I mean, right now for the immune system, um, you know, it's a really great, you got to worry a little bit about copper with excessive zinc um, utilization, but zinc is a really another, you know, and the reason I said those three is I have a lot of women that are say, you know, I want to be strategic with my supplementation, you know, so there are a ton of supplements I can recommend for different things. And again, zinc being one of them, I personally take, have been taking zinc for months now. Um, but you know, if we're strategically and safe for the adrenals, again, zinc is important, but I would start with those three. And then, you know, again, depending on the degree of uh, deficiency or dysfunction of the adrenals. Um, there are a couple others. There's these, uh, herbs out there or adaptogens, I call them that are like commonplace. Now they're in a lot of these pseudo coffee drinks, um, like uh, four sigmatic, I think has one, or they all have a little bit of these adaptogens in them, which are adrenal gland adaptogens, which essentially what that means is they're from plants and they actually adapt your cortisol to where it needs to be. So for instance, if your cortisol is high, it'll lower it. And if it's low, it'll raise it. And my all time favorite is something called ashwagandha. And again, you see this a lot right now, a lot of uh, workout companies with pre-workouts and such have utilized a lot of these adaptogens in their post-workout proteins, because we find that, you know, at a baseline, a lot of people have lots of stress now and a lot of dysfunction with their cortisol and their adrenals. My other really favorite one I just want to leave everyone with is something called L-theanine. And this is an amino acid from green tea that really helps calm you without making you feel sedated. And I always call it the natural Xanax um, because you, number one, it's non-toxic. You can't take too much of it, but it is a kind of an expensive supplement because it is from green tea leaves, but it's highly effective. It's highly effective for just that just that feeling of calmness and it helps with focus as well, which I think a lot of people, when we get stressed and overwhelmed, we can't focus. You know, we're always thinking about the next thing or tomorrow. And that really is counterproductive when we're trying to get some work done. And again, workout companies have put it in their pre-workouts to help with focus during workouts. So these are supplements that are out there being utilized for other things, but you will, you know, you'll hear that keyword out there, adaptogen. You know, you probably, now that you've heard this episode, you'll probably hear all the time now, like is on your radar adaptogen or this, you know, you'll look at labels and you'll see L-theanine and something. And there's purposes and reasons why these companies are putting them in because they really do work. When people are listening to this, I could see two extremes. Yeah. One extreme would be, this is overwhelming. I'm so overwhelmed. Really? Mm -hmm. I can't do any of this. Yeah. I'm going to go back to just being burned out. Um, I had been, I was there last year. Mm -hmm. um, then I could see the other extreme and which is, this is amazing. Tonight, I'm going to go to bed at nine. But before I go to bed at nine, I'm going to buy all these supplements. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to clean out my fridge and boom, tomorrow I'm starting. So I would assume neither approach is ideal. Mm -mm. So how should someone begin? Like what would be your one to three tips on how to begin? Well, I think the easiest is sleep, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be extreme. If you're used to going to bed at 11 and you, you know, you try to go, doctor says, go to bed at nine. I go to bed at nine. I'm laying there for two hours. No, that's not, I don't want that to happen. Like go then, you know, 
get back up, do something till 1045. So start cutting back. So I think that's number one, a easy thing to do. That's just not too extreme. Number two is awareness, even of like, I think it's one thing to just completely change your lifestyle, but what are you doing currently? You know? So like, again, look at your day for the next couple of days. Like, what are you doing throughout the day? And if you can just swap out one unhealthier thing, such as drinking that pot of coffee, maybe decrease by one cup a day or every couple of days for the next couple of weeks. You know, I find that change occurs if we make it gradual and we just, you know, every healthy habit that we adopt, we just start, you know, habit stacking one on top of the other and start crowding out those things that aren't so healthy. So I do think that the, the whole nutrition change that is months and months generally. And those that change it overnight, they don't stick with it because you know what? They're exhausted. They're overwhelmed. Making real food all day, every day when, you know, start starting tomorrow is going to overwhelm you, no doubt. And you're not going to stick with it. And the whole intention of doing this is that you want to feel better. So just little baby steps every day of like making, you know, next couple of weeks, make a healthier swap for breakfast, you know? And again, you won't know what you want to change in your lifestyle unless you see what you're already doing. So see, maybe you're already doing these really healthy things. And it's just a couple things that you need to, to swap out. And by no means, all these supplements, you know, those are just, um, I do find the B vitamins a lot of times will help give women that little extra energy because I have to say, you know, it's one of those things that I start early on and say, if I need to give you something to help with your energy and help you value eating better foods because you're not so tired, then it would be a B vitamin first thing in the morning um, to try to get, get you up and going and, and get you that, that um, again, I don't want to use the word motivation, but that energy to, to make better choices. That makes sense. And even the way you're describing it, I'm looking at how I unraveled from my um, extreme burnout. Like I can handle a lot. And when I'm saying I can't do this anymore, like I knew it was bad um, and I couldn't spin out. Yeah. And I'll tell you one of the things that we kind of talked about, um, but didn't get into detail that also helped me was making a list. So I started getting in a habit where right before I went to bed or right, if I would get up luckily before my son, I would make a list of all the things I wanted to do that day. And then I would do a reality check Mm -hmm. And I started blocking my calendar. I'm like, okay, these are the things I want to get done. These 30 minutes, I'm going to work out. These 30 minutes, I'm going to catch up on email. You know, these 30 minutes or three hours, I have all these meetings. And I started doing a reality check. I'm like, I can't get it done. So what has to get done? Mm -hmm. What? And I did the same thing. Like, what can I delegate? What do I just delete off my list? And just, mm -hmm. and I, then I started creating lists of long-term plans, mm -hmm. immediate plans. Mm -hmm. And that way I could like not have it all spinning in my head. And even that started to help because I was literally memorizing everything and had the world on my shoulders. Plus I was going to bed late. Plus I was waking up too early. It was a nightmare. I guess one last question. What's your greatest hope for women's health? Oh my goodness. That we have more, um, I don't want to say studies that usually comes with medications, but I just, I just want women to be heard more in the healthcare world and not just be sort of shunned that you're a woman, you're emotional, you're this, you're that, you know, we are we are humans with real symptoms and it looks different. It looks so different than men and we are different than men. And I do think a lot of women are poo-pooed for a lot of the symptoms that they go to their doctor for. Part of that also comes from the lack of studies on women. And I just want our voices heard in the healthcare world. We actually deserve to feel amazing. And a lot of times we are held back because of the conventional medical world telling us that our symptoms are normal. So if 
it, hopefully functional medicine, what I practice becomes more of the uh, wave of the future as far as incorporating, you know, as a choice for women to choose how they want to be taken care of, or not even choose more collaborative with conventional medicine, because I don't think it's a competition. I think we can all work together just to get amazing health for women. Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.